You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And good morning or good afternoon, whatever the case may be, on this lovely Sunday, Mother's Day. So first of all, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. And I um, hope you have a, a great day. It should be a nice, relaxing day. And uh, here in L.A., it's uh, after, actually, believe it or not, some, some May rain, which we don't get very often. And it's a beautiful day today, uh, which I hope so, because <laughs> I actually have to be going to a wedding today in Malibu, right on the beach, outdoors. So we, everybody was sort of extremely concerned about the possibility of rain here today. Anyway, uh, you're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio's only live call-in show. The keywords there are live and call-in. We want to hear from you. Uh, we're here thanks to our sponsors, Kong Veterinary Products and ProSense Pet Products and um, Elenco Lily, makers of Comfortis and Trifexis. Also, Save This Life Microchip. So we have a, a number of sponsors that are helping us be here live for you. And um, there was an interesting radio story that came out this week. And I really want your feedback on this one. I mean, I, a lot of you are out there. And I, I know you're listening, but you don't log in. Pet Life Radio, it's so easy to log in. Just log into Pet Life Radio, go on to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and just follow the links. And um, you can also, we are on, also have Google Hangouts now. So if you go on to our site, click on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab, then you can actually see a Google Hangouts and uh, that would also give you an idea, give you a great way to join us live. And, of course, you can call us the good old-fashioned way, free, toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882, and you can join in on the conversation. And here's the story that I read. I actually already responded. I commented to it. By the way, it was written by a very, very well-known, legitimate animal behaviorist, Dr. Stanley Corin. He is a, a university, he's a, he's a professor, uh, teaches animal behavior, and um, he's a, a PhD behaviorist. And this one, I, though Stanley puts out great stuff, he's, uh, I think, very accurate, uh, very well-known. One of those, as, as the many more scientific trainers and behaviorists out there, unlike some others who do not have the certifications or the education and are teaching us very, very improperly how to care for and treat and train our pets. Unfortunately, have much charisma and have made themselves very well known. But in the real, true, scientific animal behavior world, they are not well respected. But Stanley is, Dr. Corrin. And he wrote, and now again, I, I have not spoken to him yet, so I, which I really want to do because as we know, anything in media can often be taken out of context. That's why when we're interviewed, and I'm interviewed often, we always are instructed, we're taught early on to speak in sound bites. Don't just answer a question because they can take that answer and link it to another question not related to the one you answered. And so it sounds like you are giving a lot of misinformation or you're answering erroneously, and it's very embarrassing. And so we always try to incorporate the actual question within our answer. So it's, in essence, we're repeating the question from the interviewer as we're being interviewed. So there's no, it's very difficult to edit the accuracy out of our answers. And it's interesting. So, so I don't know on this 
story, how much of it actually was in response to certain questions. But the basic premise was, and I know a lot of you out there are going to cringe when I say this, is dogs don't like to be hugged. Really? Dogs don't like to be hugged. Yes. Based on the position of the eyes, the, the, how much of the whites of the eyes are visible, the ears being pegged back, that dogs do not like to be hugged. We like to hug them, but they don't enjoy it. To which I say, that is a crock. That is so not true. Now, of course, let's put things into context. There are so many things about dogs. First of all, just by the nature of the ears and the eyes, is there's too much extrapolation there. That's saying that every time the ears go back, it's because it's a flight or fright response, and they don't want to be there. By averting their glance, their eyes, it's like they're looking away to say, where else can I be because I don't want to be here. And I just don't believe it. I don't think that's true. And I have so many examples that, well, first of all, let's talk to study. The study was with, ready for this, 250 dogs. Not even dogs, not even being examined. Pictures, 250 pictures that were sent in of dogs being hugged. And really, 57 million plus dogs in the U.S., and you're basing a scientific study on 250? That's number one. And in the conclusion was 82% of these dogs did not like to be hugged. Now, what I really want to know, let's break this down here. As we know, and as we here at Pet Life Radio and me as a veterinarian, always try to promote is rescue. Let's talk about rescue dogs, first of all. And let's assume if we have, I mean, clearly there's a lot of assumptions going on here that if we're going to assume something, let's assume that many of these 250 dogs were our rescue dogs. And that means we know nothing about their prior experiences. We know nothing about how they may have been held back or restrained in an uncomfortable manner. And the current owners may not be there first. So when we're talking about being hugged, then maybe these dogs really didn't like it for really good reason. That's number one. Number two, again, I didn't see the pictures, nor have I spoken to the author of this study. But how about who is doing the hugging? Why? Because as we all know, many dogs are really smart and they don't like to be hugged or sometimes even touched by children. Why? Because they already know. First of all, children move very quickly. Secondly, going way back when that dog is a little puppy and that kid comes over and grabs, they're not petting. They're grabbing. They're pulling hair. So it is uncomfortable. So of course, when that kid or grown-up kid, but they remember dogs are not stupid, comes up and tries to hug this dog, this dog is saying, wait just a cotton picking second here. I'm not going to be hugged by this one, so I'm going to try to get away. Yeah, I get it. So we don't know who these dogs were, what breeds they were. We don't know what was going on on the other end of that of the camera. Maybe there was something they'd rather be. Maybe in, in taking the picture, they were had a treat there, and this dog is looking to the side saying, hey, I, I'd rather have the treat. No offense to the hugger here, but I'd rather have that treat. We have no idea what the scientific controls were. Where did these dogs come from? How long did they live in the house that they were living in where the hugger is living as well? We just have no idea. It was so poorly done based on the radios. Now, again, I did not hear the full interview. I did not even read the full article, though I saw it paraphrased in print, and there were just too many holes. Now, let's contrast this for a second. And this is where I want to hear from you, because once again, 877-385-8882. This is one where we really need to talk about, because I'm a veterinarian. I think most of my patients love me. But maybe not. And I'm sure there's some anxiety, there's stress. But I have dogs that come into my office 
I'll walk out in the waiting room and they will literally charge. Now, I'm not talking little cute dogs. I'm talking 75, 80, 85 pound Labradors, for example. Two in particular. I mean, Frankie and Willie, these two dogs literally go bonkers when they see me. And they will run up to me. They will jump up on me. And as I'm hugging them, they're not trying to get away. They are literally crawling up my leg, my body, so they can hold them as if they were still little puppies. And they're 80 pounds. And they're licking me as if, and I'm trying to get away sometimes because my face is sopping wet and they are still going like crazy. Clearly, these dogs like being hugged. So there is so much that we don't know about the dogs. And I think if if a study like this is going to be done, it needs to be much more scientifically controlled. We need to have groups. We need to have specified dogs that were adopted and from where, well, how old they were at adoption. We need to have dogs that were raised by a family as puppies. We need to know how many kids in the house. I mean, there's so many things that we have to know before someone can make a blanket statement that dogs don't like to be hugged. Because I know when I lying in bed and one of my five jumps up on me and I have two little Two of them are small. They literally, even my 75-pound Labrador likes to think I'm just as good as a mattress and lies right on top of me. But if I am hugging and my arms are around them and I remove them, they literally take their nose, their snout, and they nudge it under my arm so I can put it back over them. So this is not a case of a dog not like being hugged. So I have to say that I, I really kind of disagree with the, uh, the premise. I disagree with the conclusion. And even though I do agree, I absolutely agree that under certain circumstances, and there are going to be many dogs for good reason that don't like to be hugged. But to say, based on a study of 250 pictures, not video, we're talking pictures here. We don't know how long the dogs were in the arms of the hugger. I mean, let's say it was over 30 seconds and finally the dog is saying, okay, I loved it for the first 15, but now, you know, I know there's food waiting for me over there. I want to get away. We know nothing. There's been no controls. It was not, I don't think, at least from what I know, and I'm qualifying that because I've not had a chance to speak to the author, but I think that uh, it it is not true. When I first heard that, I said, (laughs) I don't want to say what I say on, on air, but I said it. And, you know, I think there's many of you, I hope, um, that's why I want to hear from you. How many of you truly believe that your dogs don't like to be hugged? And how many of you believe that your dogs do like to be hugged? So um, we're going to have a little poll here, here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I want you to, uh, just before we take a break, I'll give you the contact info again. It's 877-385-8882. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. This is a good one. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. And all you can uh, join us live online. And um, just click on the Ask the Vets tab and then go on to Google Hangouts. Go on to the link and you can actually join us live. Sit in front of your computer, sit in front of your phone, and uh, let's talk and see what, uh, how you feel about the huggability of dogs or not. Anyway, don't go away. We'll be right back here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets after this short break. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's hard to find time for your furry family member. That's where Camp Bow Wow comes in. All day play and overnight camp, daycare and boarding for dogs. Everything is included. Large play areas for fun and exercise. Spacious cabins, comfy cots, even live camper cams to watch from a computer or smartphone. Camp Bow Wow offers the best care and is the place to go where a dog can be a dog. For locations and more information, visit CampBowWow.com. 
This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food, and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin, skin infections like hot spots and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. Yuppie Puppy City Kitty provides pet lovers an opportunity to earn up to 50% commission selling our premium pet products. Advocate Gina Brick says the opportunity to share such a quality product line with other pet lovers is amazing. The support of the Yuppie Puppy City Kitty family while working the business is a true gift. Mention special code PETLIFE when you enroll today and receive three additional products free. Find us at www.ypckpets.com. That's ypckpets.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host here on Pet Life Radio's live call-in show, Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff. And before the break, we were uh, talking about hugging and the study that came out uh, telling us that dogs don't like to be hugged. Of course, a conclusion that I disagree with tremendously, I, though I do believe that there are many, many dogs that do not like to be hugged for good reason. But I would say certainly all the dogs I've ever had, and I've had a lot, I have a lot right now, and just my patients, little dogs come in, I have them in my arms, and they are not trying to get away one iota. They're not uncomfortable, and uh, they love it, and many of them, I mean, jump up on me as if they say, Doc, give me a hug. So I want to hear, I'd like to hear, and for some reason, there are so many of you out there that are maybe shy to, to call in live on a radio show. Well, let me tell you something. Don't be shy. Secondly, why don't you just, if you are, if you are, send me some email to drjeff at petliferadio.com. All the mail is forwarded to me, and I want to see what you think. We'll talk about it. We'll do our own little tabulation and find out what you think about whether or not dogs like to be hugged or not. I personally think they do. Uh, anyway, I always like to share experiences. And, and this week, I've had a couple of cases. This is on the heels of something I read, and I think we talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago, that a recent study came out about golden retrievers. This was an example that 60%, 60%, that's a lot, of golden retrievers will be stricken with some form of cancer in their lifetime. That's a high number. And we used to think of boxers as a cancer dog. Now it seems to be goldens are catching up. And I've had a number of cases uh, just this week and the last week alone, of cancer in dogs. And there are so many philosophical questions that arise when it comes to certain cancers, the age of when these animals are diagnosed with the cancer, and what direction should we take as a veterinarian, should you take as a pet parent, right? As a pet mom, it's Mother's Day. What's the best approach? And the answer is it's a real, because it, it, there's so many things to consider, of course, age being one of them. Typically, uh, cancer is a disease we see in older age, middle to old age. Though I have to tell you, my 15-year-old Labrador that is, I just took off a very, very nasty mast cell tumor from him uh, two months ago. 
at 15. It was, actually, I did the surgery on his 15th birthday. That wasn't a very nice thing to do, but I just needed to do it. I wanted to get out as, as soon as I could. But interestingly, he had a similar tumor, a mastel tumor, basically in the same area. It was like two inches, three inches away from his original when he was four. So we removed it then, and he went 11 years cancer-free until this new one popped up. And we took it out, and hopefully, sadly, I know he's not going another 11. I'd be thrilled if he gets another one. But I don't like people saying to me, well, God, Doc, I don't want to do surgery now because he's too old. And I don't like using that as a criteria. Why? I always say to them this. I said, let's say grandma falls and breaks her hip. A lot of old people fall and break their hips. You wouldn't want that doctor coming in and saying to the family, you know, I, I know that you may, may want to think of fixing it, maybe not. You don't want to t tell grandma. Grandma, you know, the doctor says you're in good shape. Your heart's checking out great. Your, your bloods are fine. Everything is working great. But you know what? You're 94. So we're not going to fix it. You can't do that. Age is not a determinant. It's, it's not the reason why you do or don't do something. Now, certainly, it has to come into the equation. But it's not, age isn't a disease. It's a condition that may affect the decision, but it's not a disease itself. So you would not do something just because. Now, for example, when I decided to take out Grover's cancer at 15 years of age, it's because his bloods were great, his x-rays were fine, his chest, everything was perfect. So I had to. I, I would rather operate on a 15-year-old dog who's in great shape than a 9- or 10-year-old dog who's got bad kidneys, bad liver, lesions in the chest, pulmonary, whatever. So you have to think about that. Now, another question you have to ask yourselves is if the result of a test, this is a question I often ask, if the result of a test is not going to change your course, for example, because of whatever reason, it could be personal, it could be financial, it could be other issues with the, the pet, that you would not want to subject your pet to chemo or to radiation therapy to treat the cancer. Well, then if you are already set that it, that is not an option, then the necessarily the next steps to make a specific diagnosis may not be indicated because if the result of a test is not going to change your course of treatment, your course of action, then don't do the test. The whole reason that we test is to come up with a diagnosis to help you make a decision about what you want to do, if you want to treat, how you want to treat, et cetera. Well, if you already decided based on, and I have a lot of clients that have put a prior pet through radiation or chemo and for whatever reason, and then you, and unfortunately, trying to convince them that not every pet's the same, not every situation is the same, not every cancer is the same. Sometimes they'll do amazing. I've had cases that just did so well with simple cancer treatment, simple chemotherapy, and gave them extra really good quality of life. You know, eight months, 10 months, a year, or 15 months, whatever it is. So these are the things that we like to do because it's a great way to help these animals. So I definitely want you want to consider that when or if you are considering treatment, you're considering something for a cancer, you want to really weigh the big picture, not just age, not just finances, not look at what are the possibilities, what's the prognosis, how much more time. Sometimes, and again, it sounds cold sometimes, but it's really not. You have to say to yourself, what is the quality of life going to be for how much longer the pet may have? And can I justify spending what I may have to spend or putting the dog through this for an extra month or two? It may not be something feasible to do. So therefore, we may choose not to do it. And that's okay. It's okay not to do it. But make sure that the, the most important thing, and I try to, when I work with my clients, the most important thing is to 
basically give them as many of the possibilities, the options, the choices, and also what happens if we don't? What's the quality of life going to be if we do nothing? And this is where, you know, we, it, it sometimes it's bitten us in the behind. For example, I would often say, if I have a, a pet that has something that's ugly, let's say it's a, a mass that's actually ulcerated and bleeding, and if we do nothing, what can we expect? If I did not elect to do my surgery on my dog Rover, then what could I have expected from the improvement of that cancer all by itself? The answer is nothing. So I had to make a decision because nothing, doing nothing is going to affect nothing. So you have to do something. Now I could opt to do nothing knowing that as soon as it got really bad, I would have to say goodbye. I wasn't ready to do that. So I wanted to do something. If I had to do, if, if there was a condition where the treatment is really aggressive. We're going through this right now with one of my patients. There are two forms of surgery they can do for this particular tumor. One is a stereotactic, which means it's what they do in people now. It's a, a certain radiation beam that can be directly localized on the mass. It's like three to five treatments. And at a price tag, you ready for this, of $14,000. Wow, $14,000. Now, could the dog tolerate it? Yes, but it is a much older, golden retriever and even at best because the dog is already 14 at best what are you going to get a year and so you have to say to yourself oh my god 14 grand for a year now if you can afford it that's great the dogs do tolerate it pretty well another alternative was maybe to give them eight months and it's a much easier much less expensive form of radiation and so that in of itself was a determining factor that coupled with a particular chemo chemotherapy agent would do probably about eight months so the survival, now, as I told the owners, if this dog were considerably younger, let's say 10, where by doing this treatment, the mean survival could be as long as three years, so you might get 13 out of a dog who's already 10, then, oh, and if you can afford it, then go for it. It is, a, it is the gold standard. It's the best thing we have right now. But there's so many things to think about when deciding or not to treat a pet that has a cancer. So when you are faced with the decisions, try to get as much information from your veterinarians as possible. Cost, age of the pet, prognosis, all of these factors that are going to go into play. And just what is the quality of life during the treatment? What can and can't they do? I had a case of um, a cat coming in with a thyroid carcinoma. It's a hyperthyroidism, very treatable in cats with radioactive iodine, the same way we're treating people now. The old standard was to do surgery. And also it was a medication. The medication is my least favorite. It's like a Band-Aid. They were told when the cat was 14 and healthy otherwise that oh, you can't do anything. You just go do the meds. I see this cat now at 15 and a half, almost 16, took a blood test, and this cat is still phenomenal. I said, well, well, how come you didn't do the uh, radioactive iodine? They go, well, our vet told us that we shouldn't do it because the cat's too old. I hate hearing that. A pet is not necessarily too old for something that is non-invasive. They're going away for two, three days. It's so great. I did it with my own cat when he was 15 or 16. That was great. So anyway, keep these things in mind. Think about it. If you have any questions ever about things like this, please, you can feel free to get a hold of me at drjeff at petliferadio.com. So uh, anyway, that's all we have time for today. I do uh, want to tell you that in the next week or so, we're going to have a special guest. Uh, we're going to talk about exercise. We're going to talk about water, the importance of, of hydration, and the severe effects of dehydration in a pet. And uh, so tune in. It's either going to be next week or the week after. And uh, otherwise, have a great Mother's Day, everybody. Have a great week. 
And uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Kong Veterinary Products and ProSense and Elenco Lilies, Comfortis and Trifexis, and Save This Life Microchip. And we will have a great one. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.